Sir Tony Martin. I am so happy to have you on my show finally. It's like a huge honor for me. Thank you. I, I wish I could go back in time and tell like 15 year old Don that I was actually going to be talking to you today because <laughs> there's no way in hell he would believe it. <laughs> you know? so, right, yeah. <laughs> and I have to tell you, one of my best friends was very excited that I was doing this interview with you today. It was Catherine Terman. Oh, God. Yeah. How's she? <laughs> She's great. I just I just yeah, I talk to her pretty much every day. I just had her on, on the podcast uh, last week. Ah. I love and her. She's a nice lady. Very, very cool. One of my favorite people. And and she, when I told her I was interviewing, she said, oh, you guys are going to hit it off great. And I was like, well, I hope so. <laughs> uh, no, she's a nice lady. Give her my regards when you speak to her. I will. And so, so if you don't like me, it's her fault. So, you know, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. So, um, you know, and I have to tell you, too, is that I had tickets to see the Atlanta show the headless cross tour with King, uh, kingdom come. Oh, and I think silent rage was also on the bill. And my dad was going to drive me all the way from new Orleans where we were living to see it. Right. And it, it was like one of maybe three times in my life that I've cried oh, over what? a show being canceled. Oh man. That's sad. Yeah. It was horrible. Hopefully this will make up for it. Right. Oh, I will. You know, I think we're off to a good start so far. <laughs> well so you know just to kind of break the ice a little bit too is that you know one of the questions i love to ask people is um what is a question that you get asked so much that if someone asks you again like you'll just kick something (laughs) oh man that's a good question And, and you've caught me off guard there i there's there's so many um I, I guess because I'm 65 years old now, this is real color. I haven't dyed it gray. The question that I get asked a lot is, how did you start? Okay, if you don't know by now, I mean, you know, 65 years old, I've been around the business for a fair few years. And if, the, if you haven't even bothered to do that amount of research, then maybe you deserve a punch in the face or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's not like it's not like you're a new guy, you know. Are you going like, to ask me that now? Are you going to ask me that now? No, no. I, hold on. Let me let me scratch this off my list real quick. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, while I have a few Sabbath questions, obviously, you know, I'd really prefer not to dwell on it too much since it's you know it's been talked about a zillion times. You know, it has. I don't mind too much. It doesn't haunt me exactly, but. Um, uh, there's only so much you can tell on, uh, you know, really, um, some of it is all out there, but uh, you know, most of the Tony Martin story has been missed the past, you know, the 10 years that I served with Sabah was kind of erased in many ways. Yeah. So, um, bar for a few details, uh, uh, there's not much else you can say, but by, by all means, go ahead and ask, you know, see what we can say. You know, like one of the things I, you know, and this is an opinion, um, statement, of course, but like I still say to this day that the Tony Martin era of Sabbath, if if Ian Gillen had not happened, which in some ways I wish it hadn't, was that you, if you would have come on the heels of the Dio era, I really feel like that would have been like a much more appreciated and acknowledged right. thing, you know? And Absolutely. so in my opinion, you know, 
in my opinion, you know, just so you know, is that like that's how how big of a fan I am of that era, is well, that I'm, you know. I'll, I'll get a bat for Tony Martin era all the time. That's you know? very funny. I could see why you would think that because the two power voices would kind of um, uh, complement each other in the timeline. But, um, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't happen like that. And you have to pick up the pieces as you come across them. Um, I mean, when the first call I got for Sabbath was in 1986 when they had uh, Glenn Hughes singing Seventh Star. And um, he went missing. I don't know what happened, but he they couldn't <laughs> find him. And uh, they put me on standby and said, start learning songs. And I went, you must be joking. I can't sing like Glenn Hughes. Nobody can sing like Glenn Hughes. So I was really scared, you know. But then they found him. Said, okay, we found him. And then, like, 1987, <laughs> was, the, <laughs> 1987 was the next call I got where they had regular. And then he left to join Blue Murder. So... You know, really, I was my name has been attached to Sabbath from 1986 till you know uh, 97. So it's like 11 years, really, I suppose. Well, I mean, you were the longest running Sabbath singer, just just behind Ozzy. You yeah, know, that's right. And, yeah. You know, and what an impossible gig to have for a lot of people. But not only did you turn out incredible live performances with Sabbath, but the quality of the albums and the, and the material was just, you know, bar none to me, you know, like, I mean, mm -hmm. behind listening to, you know, mob rules, you know, going into, you know, eternal idol and, and to me, headless cross, you know, tear, like to me, those are just pinnacle albums that I, mm -hmm. you know, I hate that get overlooked. They are good in their own rights. I mean, they're almost like, uh, three or four different stories in some ways. And I mean, it, you know, I, I say this to people quite often, but by the time, from when I first joined the band to the time we got to uh, Headless Cross, that had been four or five lineup changes already, mm -hmm. you know, oh, uh, yeah. drummers, bass players, uh, whatever. So, you know, it was a constantly changing, turning, moving situation, and it was really hard to keep up with. So, I mean, I have to say Eternal Idol was a, a bit of a relief for me because I, uh, the lyrics and the melodies were already written, so I didn't have to really, you know, work too hard in getting a style fixed at that point. They just said, like, you know, copy exactly what's that. They didn't have time to do it all again. So, no, don't change anything. Just, you know, do whatever's there. Um, which was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, <laughs> really pleased about that. But then obviously as Headless Cross comes, now that's me writing yeah. and, and singing my melody. So you can see the change. That's Eternal Idol was one story. Then Headless Cross and Tear was another story. Then, um, you know, after the well, after I got fired, then like, you know, um, Cross Purposes, that was another story. And they each have their own little thing, you know, and I, I, it was an honor and a you know great pleasure, obviously, to be there. But fucking hard work, I'm trying to keep up. Well, yeah, and not only that, like you said, like it's almost kind of a thankless gig, and it's a hard gig to take mm -hmm. on. I couldn't even imagine. But you know, like I said, when you came in for Eternal Idol, one of the things I loved is that had I not known that Ray Gillen was was in there and that you had come in right behind, like I would not have known because you really injected your own self into that material to the point to where 
there's a level of conviction there that I felt like, wow, like that very well could have been yeah. Tony Martin. But now when Headless Cross came out and I got to really hear Tony Martin, I was like, yeah. that's Sabbath. That is Sabbath right there. It does. It does change. I mean, Ray Gillen's version is out there. And um, mm -hmm. I, I did my best. I mean, you know, uh, essentially, I'm trying to fill a gap, uh, but still make something credible, you know. And so I did the best I could. And it turned out OK, I think. Um, but it, it wasn't me. Ultimately, you get to hear me on Headless Cross. So you can see the changes. But the, I think oh, they, yeah. they um, had, how would I say, I think they made a cross for their own backs because of the changes they were making all the time. Didn't really give it time to sort of settle and, and you know, sort of thing. So we were always chasing those, you know, uh, changes. So it really was hard work. Plus the fact I'm 12 years younger than the guys. So there was always a natural gap, which I could never close. You know, they had so much more experience. Me, I could never uh, catch up with that. There was their age. The friends, the circle of friends that they had were completely different to my circle of friends. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, I say this quite often. It's like having a younger brother tagging along that nobody really wants it. But, you know, <laughs> I was cheap. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think they sort of, I'll let him come along, you know, sort of thing. Also, but, did you ever feel like that if there had been kind of say like a gap in between you coming in like because i feel like sometimes it's kind of a weird twofold thing like so, in some cases a band taking a you know quote-unquote break in between say like a lineup change or something some people would say that that's not a great thing but then some others say that a break in between would be more beneficial because people can kind of better prepare and adjust especially fans you know if there's like a lineup change so saying it's a good question i mean i've just done that with my solo albums the last one was like 15 years ago or something um and and people have been expecting this new album and it's been a hard job keeping it secret and quiet so that it didn't leak out but um that sudden difference now that i can really approach it in a in a a different way and you're right uh, you know, sometimes it's better to do nothing than to try keeping up. But what you have to understand with Sabbath is it's a huge machine. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's a monster of a machine, as you would expect with a band that that of that stature, right. that they have, they're expected to do an album a year or, or a tour every year. It, it's what, you, you know, it's something that's hardwired almost for them to sort of do that. Um, so the, uh, yeah, the well, how would you say that the, the gap thing doesn't really apply to bands like that? Like you said, it should. And, um, you know, I think probably you're right. If they'd have given some time in between, maybe we could have worked it slightly different or, you know, given the, the gap gives its own, um, power to the next thing that comes along, I think. So, yeah, I think you're right. You know, in many ways, it's a good point. Well, you know, and it's funny because I, th I feel like the eight, especially with the 80s and the 90s or going into the early 90s, more so the mid to late 80s, I feel like it was also a very different time for that kind of thing because yeah. you had to stay pretty consistent. I mean, like if you look at a band like Iron Maiden, you know, who would put out an album, go out on the road for 
you know, two years or whatever, you know, do like, you know, you know, 280 shows in a year. But then next thing you know, they'd come off the road a year later, another album came out, you know? Yep. So it's almost like you had to keep, like you said, keep the machine yeah. going, you know, and you have to um, feed the beast. You have to keep feeding the beast. The beast is the machine and you have to keep working it and, and think, you know, you, you don't lay people off work in, in situations like that. I mean, they probably could have, and they, like you said, you know, probably should have taken time out, but, um, no, that's not in the hardwiring of, of uh, you know, a stature band like that. Sabbath are expected to do something. Obviously not now. They've sort of come to the end of what, you know, they're expected to do and um, sort of wound it down a bit now. But, um, yeah, back in the day, who knows? Absolutely. You know, and so really, I, I get, you know, to kind of wind up with the whole kind of Sabbath topic, one of the things that I did want, I've always wanted to ask was about the Forbidden album. Oh, yeah. That album gets a lot of flack, obviously, uh, in yeah, the, the Sabbath me. circle. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest, like, I wasn't into it because something happened to me at that point when that album came out. Like, what what do you feel what it was about that album that so many people just kind of felt disjointed from Sabbath? And did you feel that way as well? It was disjointed because it was disjointed. <laughs> I mean, it's. It was, it was, <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Tony. <laughs> uh, um, um, I, I've talked about this a, uh, a fair bit recently, obviously doing interviews and stuff. It, it has a different uh, downside for me than it does to the fans. Um, to the fans listening to it, they'll be going, what the fuck are they doing with this like, rap thing going on? And, you know, uh, for me, it was like more band political stuff. So mm -hmm. if you if you sort of start at the beginning of that album, we were actually doing all right. I mean, we we we, we were in the writing, you know, rehearsing thing, and we were all getting on, and it and it all seemed fine. And then we got this call to say that they were going to uh, get Ice T to sing on the album. Okay, well, they called us to a meeting in London um, and said this is going to happen. We just want you, to let you know that, um, you know, we need to get the guys in here and, and see if you work with them and stuff. Well, Cozy Powell was saying, this can't possibly work, can it? I mean, it's like Black Sabbath, you know, because you know what they're trying to do is the run DMC type thing. Um, and so you can see what the idea was potentially, but then uh, when you get uh, the rap guys into the writing room, then you've got them trying to tell Cozy Powell how to play drums. Okay, Which you so just the, don't do on many levels, right? <laughs> the look on his face is like, right, you, you do know who I am, right? Like, you know, Cozy Powell. And they go, yeah, man, yeah, we, we like you. We love your stuff. You're like, you're the man, you're the man. He said, yeah. And they're kind of, yeah, well, apart from that, can you try and play it like this? And he's going, well, I'll give it a go. So, like, he's sort of playing, okay, we're looking at each other going, this can't be right. You know, what I mean? you know, it's just like a bizarre situation. Then I sort of said, okay, uh, Ice T is going to sing, uh, AC singing one song, two songs, like half the album, all the album. And they kept saying, um, well, we don't really know yet. Uh, keep going and uh, we'll make a decision further along the line. So further along the line, I asked again, like, okay, 
what's he doing? What am I doing? Am I writing for him? Is he writing? Is, am I doing a song, two songs? Whatever. And they said, don't know, uh, keep going and stuff like that. When I got to the studio to write it, I still didn't know if I'm on the album, if I'm singing all of the songs and he's joining in or whatever. And I hadn't heard it until I got a copy of the album. Right. I imagine trying to work seriously, in, in, you know, under that sort of, I don't know, vague ugh, thing. I, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't give my best to it. It was just like, I could have done so much better with, you know, these songs and stuff if, if I'd mm. have known what I was doing. So for me, it's a different thing. Now, to the fans, they're just listening to a sound. They know, you know, it, it doesn't sound right. But I tell you what, there are a lot of people out there that love it. And I, you know, I have to appreciate that. I mean, you know, wow. Uh, what is it that you find in this album? But that some people do, you know, some of the songs hook up for them in their personal lives and stuff like that. So I I, I can't erase it uh, and I have to accept it. Uh, but for me, it was uncomfortable. And uh, the beginning of the end, you know, at the end of it, they were saying, "Send." this is the management I'm talking about, not the band. Their mm -hmm. management was sending me messages saying, We'd, we don't know what format the band is going to be in at the end of this. So what does that mean? So you, you have to start thinking, oh, shit, I'm going to get fired again, aren't I? You know, this is it. Uh, oh, man. So, like, you know, you, working under that sort of brain torture stuff, it's just hard work, and, and it was always hard work. So for, for two different reasons, that's the reason why Forbidden didn't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the beautiful things about an album like that, though, too, is like what you were saying is that, you know, the, no artist should ever really 100 percent regret putting something out because, you know, I, I firmly believe, like even for myself as a musician, is that when you put something out, it no longer belongs to just you. It belongs to whoever is taking it in and whoever is listening and whoever is accepting yeah. that music. Yeah. And so if somebody somewhere along the line has connected, like you said, like, let's say somebody, you know, was in a rough time and Forbidden was the album that made them feel like they could exude like or get rid of a lot of their aggressions or whatever. That yeah. album's going to be very important to them. So in some ways, like you said, like you, you can't yeah. erase it, but you accept it for what it is. And, you know, if people love that album, like more power to them. You know? Yes, indeed. Uh, it is very true. Um, I have we we have to uh, accept, and also like in those days, you had a fan base that was quite ooh, uh, loyal. I mean, these days people are a bit more fickle. Um, mm. They, you know, you can spend your whole life in the studio doing the most amazing album and spending all this money on stuff, and then people download one song. I mean, what was the point of doing all that? You know, if you're going to just download one track. So I'm still in the old school where, you know, an album means an album and the collection of songs, they're there for a reason that join up, tell a story. And then people who uh, get this stuff, they are then part of the story, like you said. So, um, you know, I, I do think there's a place still in the world for and this new album, Thorns, I think, does that. It's like an album that connects like all of the tracks together and it tells a story, has highs and lows. So, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, 
we're, we're, we were in a different band in a different era and a different time. Just to touch on a point, though, the 90s, we were kind of struggling with the garage bands and the grunge stuff, which mm -hmm. was taking the, the focus away from the traditional bands somewhat, you know, it, and, and we were sort of struggling against that as well. So, you know, the only thing you can do in that situation is stay true to yourself and, and just, I mean, the Black Sabbath mark had to sort of keep going. Um, we did sort of listen to some of the stuff that was going on, and obviously the, the, the influences are all around. So you can tell in some of the riffs that it was just touched on some of those things. But all in all, you have to stay true to yourself, and um, that's how you come out the other end, really. Also, well, you were just bringing up thorns, and one of the things I had to say first off is like, what a fantastic fucking album! Like. Uh Thank you. Yeah, you know, for a fan of yours who's waited this long for an album, I just remember thinking, like, you know, when your PR person sent it over to me, listen to, I said, this better be fucking good. I've been waiting a long time for this. <laughs> yeah, I thought that as well. <laughs> well, it was fantastic, and I wanted to share with you just a part of my album review because I, uh, I thought it kind of tied in a little bit of what it was. Is that, and what I said was. Thorns is something old and something new, combined with a modern approach to the music and performances. Thorns is an album that could and should appeal to metal fans, both old school and new school. Thorns is not your 80s Tony Martin. This is Tony Martin in the now. Yeah. So what I, in a nutshell, what I loved about the album is that it didn't sound like someone trying to recapture their 80s glory and make a complete throwback album but at the same time you weren't trying to be like industrial death metal tony martin you know like yeah. it sounded like you and it had elements of the old but the ability to make it sound very current and kind of modern was mm -hmm. was 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 quite i mean it was amazing to hear thank you um i it it was um a, a delight for me. I'm absolutely thrilled the way you know I was able to put it together, uh, based on the the stuff that I uh, got from Scott McClellan, of course, the guitarist who uh, features a lot on the album. Not not all of it. Um, he's on good seventy five percent of it. Um, uh, I really was able to respond to that and make it mine. But I can only do that because he gave me. Uh, well, permission, if you like, to cut his riffs up and put them where I wanted them. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> if I needed a verse here or a chorus there, or if you wanted to steal a riff from another tune and put it in, yeah, man, whatever you want, sort of thing. So it made it really easy to work and to make it Tony Martin, because I can only do that if I'm happy with the music. Music always comes first for me. Um, I'm not a poet. I can't sit down and write poetry. So the music comes first. Then if I get inspired by it, then I can put the melody and the story on top. So, you know, all, all credit to Scott. He was uh, very willing and uh, very keen, you know, to sort of make something of this. But we didn't know in the beginning. I'd already started the album as Book of Shadows. And mm -hmm. it was kind of going in that direction. Uh, the gothic-y sort of choirs with the, you know, ethereal sort of weird sort of sound um mm -hmm. that's where i thought i was going and then like scott appeared three years after that 
And then he started throwing me all this like heavy stuff. And I'm going, oh no, what do I do now? Um, so <laughs> a we, complete U-turn, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> I said, I said, yeah. I said, don't tell anybody. Just that. Wait a minute. Let me just get a sense of this. So I did one, which was as the world burns, and I thought, whoa, well, that's actually really good. Fantastic so said, first single, by the way. Yeah. yeah thank what, you. What a, yeah, I put a grip, a hold on it, and I said, well, "Okay, now wait, 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 wait. We have to talk about what are we going to do this." I said, "If you want to be part of it, I'm doing a solo album at the moment, Tony Martin album. So, uh, you know, if you're happy to work with me, then um, we'll get you on there, and let's make some stuff out of the songs." And then, as it went along, I kept Book of Shadows, and I kept Crying Wolf, and that. Kind of damnation was a bit weird, but I kept it anyway, and then put the heavy stuff in with it, and it really turned out great. And I was just thrilled, you know, by the end of it, that it had turned out that way. So, yeah, you're right. I wasn't trying to be the old Tony Martin, and I wasn't trying to be a new Tony Martin. But in the way that I think, um, in my head, it's it's like that. In fact, I say this to people, you know. If you could climb inside my head, it's a nightmare in there. This is what it's like. All of these different sounds same and, and uh, all this different shit going off all at the same time. That's what it's like inside my head. And it's a curse. It really is a curse. But if you allow yourself to work with that, um, which is what I did on this album and put them all you know, together, um, I think it really works and it really you know, helps to tell a story of uh, – a voice and a you know a, a songwriting and stuff like that. So I think just dead chuffed with it. I was very really thrilled. I mean, it was like a natural progression for me because one of the things again, like I loved again, like I followed your solo stuff, you know, for years. And I mean, <laughs> like you know, even going like you know back where I belong. Scream. Okay, let me tell you about back where I belong. Right, that was me switching mm -hmm. off. Because I'd come out of the Sabbath thing and I was really pissed off at getting fired. I had no clue that was going to happen. I saw no signals at all. Just the phone mm -hmm. rang. Goodbye. Oh, what the fuck? So, like, that was just... Not again. <laughs> oh, man. No, this is the first time. And then um, I just wanted so nothing to do with it that I sort of went, okay, I'm going to go this way. And at the time, I was kind of still into that sort of 80s uh, commercial rock stuff. So I, I sort of thought I'd go that way. It didn't really fly. I mean, um, great uh, musicians and stuff, working with Brian May, and uh, I got to work with a gospel choir. They, standing in a room while those guys are kicking off is just amazing. The sound is just amazing. So I loved all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, all sorts of people on there, Neil Murray and everybody, but it didn't really fly. Um, so, you know, I kind of ended up coming back to where, where I belong, <laughs> which is weird, uh, into the heavier stuff for Scream. And then, okay, the, the company went bust, MTM went bust. And so that didn't really happen either. <laughs> So, like, I had to really just get my thoughts together and, and concentrate on this one, really. Well, I mean, kind of like what you said, going back to uh, 
you know, uh, back where I belong. One of the things I did love about it, especially as an older music fan, because, you know, it was years after those releases that I actually even heard them because especially in the States, you know, they weren't, they weren't releases that were floating around, you know, really, you know? And when I did like discover those albums, one of the things that I did love about back where I belong was exactly what you said. Like, it didn't feel like a rebound album. It almost felt like to me, like, okay, Tony Martin is out of Sabbath. This is a decompression album. This is not Sabbath. This is not. And I loved hearing that side of you and I still do. But what, what I loved, uh, you know, again, kind of going back, you know, like you had back where it belong, then you had, uh, you know, scream and now you have thorns and none of them sound like the previous one. So, no. It's it, it's 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 very much like we're getting to see the the the, the layers of yeah. Tony Martin, you know, and you're not ashamed to show that, which which is no, that's right. Bold. Um, it, 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 you're right in many ways. I mean, the thing is, if you knew me entirely, you would know that. I mean, I've been uh, a musician since I was seven years old. I started playing guitar when I was seven and. I uh, came from the 60s, 1960s. The first thing I ever remember hearing was like the Mamas and Papas um, Monday, Monday, I think it was, and all the harmonies, and it just mm-hmm. fascinated me. So vocal stuff has been with me ever since an early age. And then I've, I've worked for, in everything from reggae to rock, opera, like all sorts of stuff. And it, in my lifetime, uh, 1971 is where it all exploded. Everything happened in 1971 from Led Zeppelin through to, God, I don't know, Slade. We had Electric Light Orchestra coming out. We had all these bands coming out of England. You know, it's just amazing stuff. And we couldn't not listen to it. It was just like, oh, my God, listen to that. Oh, my God, listen to that. So my head kind of got um, used to listening to all of this different stuff. I started getting into the techno rock things like Jethro Tull, King Crimson, Yes, all of those kind of bands. Um, you know, they were really spinning my head around at the time. Electronic stuff started to happen. Tonto's expanding headband was a, a mind-bending experience. And then... Um, what an album, by the way. <laughs> that, that was just yeah. something. Uh, it, just incredible. I, I never heard anything like that when I first heard that album. I was like, wow. <laughs> what is that? What the MOOC series one synthesizer thing that they had going, um, uh, all of that stuff, and so it's uh, that's followed me, and uh, it nothing has really uh fixed me in any one particular place, which is why my head is a mess. Um, and it results in this kind of album that I've just done, Thorns, where you know there's all, all that different shit on there. Well. I did try to take some of it off, and, and the label says, no, nah, no, nah, keep it on, keep it on. I'm going, oh, <laughs> okay, if you're sure, you know, oh, give it a try. Uh, but if I get slated, it's your fault. Um, but, you know, on the whole, people have taken it on board, and I think they understand, you know, making an album can be, and I think should be, a story and, um, you know, a progression of music to you know to keep people interested listening to it it doesn't start you know and end in this exact same stuff um you know and in, and also in the old days i'm of the age where 
if you wanted to skip a track, you had to get off your ass, go pick up the needle, move it somewhere else and put it back down again. That's how you skipped, you know, a track. Or you had to let it play through it. And then and that was when um, you went and took it. Yeah, you went and took a leak or got a yeah. beer and came back before the song was done. <laughs> and, and sometimes you would play through these tracks and go, actually, you know what? That track isn't that bad after all, you know, and you sort of listen to it. And that's how you got used to getting close to an album. So I think Thorns does that. And I'm, I'm pleased the way it's turned out. It was an absolute accident the way that it, the track order came out. That, that wasn't planned. They're all in alphabetical order. I don't know if you noticed. Um, I did notice that, and I'd meant to bring that up too because I felt like it not only was it in alphabetical order, but it also just kind of seemed to perfectly be sequenced, like I mean, sonically. So, so it's like weird that it happened that way, you it, know? It was weird. But it, there used to be a person at the record label that did that for you, who put the, mm-hmm. the track listings, the track in order. You would have kind of some input into it, but they would sort of decide that, okay, let's start with the fast one, let's rock it a bit, then let's slow it down. And then let's like bring it back up again, and you know it would have that sort of feel to it. This was a comp- <laughs> it was a complete accident because you probably know, uh, you probably do as well. We work on computers these days with Cubase mm-hmm. or Pro Tools or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you save your songs into a folder, the computer puts it in alphabetical alphabetical order. Right. Mm-hmm. It took me five years <laughs> before I noticed that they were in that order. <laughs> And when I looked at it and listened to it, I said, you know what? It actually works. That's just mad. That is just insane. How did that even happen? And I don't think anybody else has ever done it in alphabetical order, but my God, when I noticed that, I was just, uh, oh, there's something weird going on, you know. But I love it. I love it that it did that. And, um, you know, I, I tried doing that again. I mean, I, it can't possibly happen twice in a row. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it'd be highly unlikely. But it, I mean, I it's such a such an odd thing because, of course, the first thing I did was when I listened to the albums, I just listened to it, yeah. and then when I went back to go write my review after listening to it for a second time, I was looking at the track list and I was like, because yeah. again, like I got it from from uh, your PR pro, a wolf, and like my first thought was when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, the songs are out of sorts because they're all in alphabetical order. And then when I looked at the track list, I was like, oh shit, no, this is how it goes. And it was fantastic. It is is fantastic. I mean, like I said, I don't think that can happen again. Surely not. Unless you go around purposely and change the names. That is, but honestly, that is just weird how that happened. And I was so thrilled when I, I sort of discovered it. I was, I was just blown away, really. Fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. So one of the things you were talking about about uh, before going into Thorns, how you initially had been, uh, like the material was kind of coming out to be kind of like an ambient, ethereal kind of, uh, almost kind of like a mood kind of album, yeah. you know? I, I was thinking. I would, I would uh, love to hear that side of you. So do you feel like that that's something, like being that you got Thorns now kind of like, not out of the way, but you know what I mean? Like you, you've kind of you, you delivered thorns in the way that you wanted to, that this is a style that you could see yourself doing for the, like for another album, you know, just um, to kind of reveal another layer. I fully expect there to be a thorns too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, not that it would be called that. We're still toying with ideas, but we have started putting songs together. In fact, 
Scott uh, just recently sent me 39 new ideas. So uh, we've got probably enough for another t- two Thorns albums or something like that. But um, the whole uh, Book of Shadows thing, where I originally thought I was going to go, was based on an unplugged sound. So it's still kind of heavy riffs and deep like stories and melodies and stuff. Uh, but uh, unplugged so that it was powerful but not in your face. Something that you would listen to rather than that. I, I'm not sure I could do a whole album of it, but, you know, it's a possibility. I mean, I just did, uh, well, last year I did a, a, a track with a band called Secret Society, and they're more gothic sort of sound. Yes, yeah. Uh, that was really good. But um, I think I really get inspiration from working with other people. So I don't trust myself to be able to do a whole album of one thing because my head just won't allow me. But um, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, where will the next one go? And I guess we'll have to wait and find out what the story is like next time around. So. And it's interesting because as, as an artist, you know, whether you know as a songwriter, as a musician, as a band or whatever, it's almost like y- you eventually figure out that you can't prepare yeah. or even foresee like you can actually say all day long, like this is what the next album is going to be like or this is. And until you get to that point, mm. you know, the whole the whole topic is just kind of moot, you know, like, yeah. you know, like, you know, I, I, I could say. Yeah, for myself that, you know, this album that I'm currently working on, I thought, you know, a year ago was going to be just acoustic guitar myself. And now all of a sudden it's got, you know, friends of mine, like I said, from Finland and Sweden and England, and it's got, you know, drums and bass and, you know, guest vocal. And I'm going, well, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be, you know. It can change as you go along. And I mean, I got guest uh, appearances on this album on Thorns, you know, um, and I love having them around. Uh, partly, that's what I do, though, um, you know, working with other people to create things. Uh, I unfortunately don't have a band. Um, it's one of my regrets. Uh, I do wish I'd sort of kept a band over the years, but my life when my career went into the studio and I became a singer-songwriter. And so all of my existence really has been working with other people and my voice now appears on 76 albums or projects or something now. Um, most of them you can't get, but um, I've got a list of them all that I've done you know, along the way. Um, not a bad thing, but that meant I was very much tied to the studio uh, rather than being out on the road. So it, it brings up the next question, is how, how do you get it on the road? Well... It's hard because now I have to first make a band, so then you have to hire the musicians if they're available. Um, then you have to rehearse the whole thing and get the show worked out, and then you need six months to plan the tour. So for me, it's like harder to get out there because I don't have a band. Uh, like, for example, the drummer on this album, Thorns, was Danny Needham, who uh, plays a lot with Venom. And yeah. um, he's been with me as a drummer for ooh, I don't know, 20 years or something. But I have to wait for him to be available before I can do anything, <laughs> you know, because he works as well, you know, so that you right. can't keep people on a retainer, you know, for their whole lives, you know, for 15 years while you're waiting to <laughs> write an album. So um, 
you know, it, it is a slightly more difficult thing for me. I would love to get back out there and do something, but it's got to be done right. So um, that's the next thing that's in mind, of course, you know, with um, that in mind, how to approach it. COVID slowed that down a lot. Yeah. Um, and we weren't able to get together. Uh, it's starting to change a little bit now, but some countries are still a bit, um, you know, twitchy about it. Uh, my country could say, yeah, you can go. And then your country might say, no, fuck off. You're not coming here. But, um, you know. Stop right there. <laughs> stop right. <laughs> Don't even think about thinking about us. Um, so, you know, it, it's just all a little bit awkward at the moment. You know, it's definitely not going to be this year. But we're already writing the next album. So, you know, maybe we could sort of write another album and then tour two albums at the same time. I, I don't know how it might work out at the moment. But, um, yeah, onward and forward is what I think. Well, you know, the whole process, though, like, like you said, like with COVID and everything, it's almost kind of changed the expectations of artists, whereas, you know, especially over the past, what, 35 years, maybe, maybe even 40 years, it's always, it, you know, album tour, album tour, album tour. And I feel like that so many bands, you know, and even friends of mine who are musicians have really utilized, you know, this time, much like yourself, where they said, well, you know, we can't go out on the road. There's no sense in crying about it. You know, let's let's be continue to be creative. Let's continue yeah. to make music. And then when we can get back out on the road, we'll have a shit ton of music mm. to play for people, you know? I don't think musicians can sit still. It's, it's hard for us to do nothing. Uh, the creative thing inside us is screaming all the time. I mean, you know... So even in your sleep, you go to sleep and you have these things come to you in your sleep and you go, oh, that's fucking brilliant. Uh, have you done that? <laughs> All right. I, I'll just tell you a story, right? Well, the first time that happened to me, I was uh, about 14 years old and I had a reel-to-reel tape player. It was an Akai, I think. And um, the only way I could multi-record was to... Uh, cut off the wires to the erase head so it didn't rub anything off. So in my sleep one night, I've sort of come up with this this thing, this monster of a tune, and, uh, and I forced myself to wake up. And I, in the middle of the night, there's got great clunky controls. So listening for my parents to sort of wake up and come tell me off. <laughs> and then I sort of grab a microphone and sort of gradually put the jacket... And then I got the microphone. I'm going, nah, 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 yeah, switched it off. I thought, that's fantastic. Right. In the morning, I'm going to, you know, sort of set about that. When I got up in the morning, it sounded just like that. Didn't make any sense at all. Well, that was a waste of time. You know, it's so funny. It's like, you know, my my wife has even said, she was, she said, that you know, she she loves and appreciates that I'm an artist, you know, and a musician. And she says, but she says I would not want to be your brain. Like I, she's like, uh, I can't even imagine what it's like inside there. And I've never used this analogy before, so you're gonna be the first one to hear. It. It's like the best way I can describe it. It's like every lineup of Sabbath in my head playing at one time. It's a fucking zoo in there, you know. And you know, if you know, I you know. Thank you know, iPhones have been amazing because you know if I'm sitting in the car at a red light and I get an idea, I just hit the record button and I'm like, 
and I can only pray that I can figure out the key when I get home on the guitar. (laughs) We we are like that, musicians. I I have massive respect for people who can stay focused and individually create, like, you know, the instruments or write it down in a musical form. I'm musically illiterate. I can't read music at all. Yeah. Um, I'm completely self-taught and as a vocalist, I'm completely self-taught. So, um, I don't have any formal way of doing it other than doing it. And if I haven't got anything at hand, like a guitar or a keyboard or something, it just gets lost, you know, in the, in the ether of, you know, a musician's head. So I, I do understand. I mean, that's, that's me all over. So you were talking about, you know, eventually getting out on the road with the thorns, stuff like that. And of course, you know, a question that I'm going to ask that everyone's going to ask is, you know, what is a set list like that going to be? I mean, are, are we going to, would we hear some of the classic Martin Sabbath stuff, which I mean, I'm assuming maybe, but yeah. you know. Yeah, indeed. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into like the Dio era or the Aussie era. Um, it's, oh, not where, right. it's not where I belong. So, you know, it's not my stuff. I used to, when I had Jeff Nichols with me, um, who's who sadly died uh, four years ago. Yes, I remember. Um, yeah. But he was my link to um, the Dio era because he was part of that writing process with Dio and the Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules and things way back then. So we used to do um some older stuff but um now it's just me uh then i wouldn't do that i would just concentrate on you know the sabbath that i was part of so yeah sure uh, i can see a set list including that it's a massive set list potentially i mean Mm -hmm. i don't know you would have to decide how much of it you want to include and how much of the new thing you want to and because i've been on so many guest appearances um, you know, sometimes they creep into the set list. Uh, um, the last show I did live, I had some of Bobby Rondinelli's music in there because I was a guest on that at the time. So it, it, it's uh, a complex one for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I guess if I was to, if I was younger, then you could um, create a progressive live show that would go through the years and eventually cover everything that you'd done. But you know, like I said, I'm 65 years old now, so I can't see me getting another 20 years out of it. Um, you know, <laughs> really, honestly. Um, so it, it's going to be shows of the moment, really. And and if uh, if we get out there, it, it, it's just going to have to be appreciated for what it was at the time, you know. Mm. But I would love to get out there again. Looking back on on your, uh, you know, the uh, Headless Cross tier you know, cross purposes, you know, forbidden, whatever. Are there songs in any songs in particular you look back on that maybe you didn't get to do live that you're like, man, I would love to bring that to the stage. Um, maybe, um, <laughs> it, uh, when I think of them, you think yes. And then when you try them, you go, yeah, maybe not. So you, the problem with Sabbath is, it's very distinctive and you you have to do it right. I mean, part of the problem that I've had with live work in the past is that when you hire the musicians or if the promoter finds you a band, it can start to sound a little bit tribute act-ish, you know, because it's they can be good players, but eh, 
doesn't quite do the thing. And and the fans know how it should sound. So, you know, you, you can trap yourself into doing covers. And the problem with that is I was in the band. So it shouldn't be a cover, really. It should be like, you know, the real thing. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, it's difficult. Uh, so sometimes, yeah, you do think, oh, yeah, I'd love to bring that song back. And then you realize that I can't really do that because, you know, the people that did it were so unique that you, you'll hardly ever reproduce it completely. Some of the songs are easier to access and you can, you know, get a, a pretty good representation of it. But um, on the whole... Uh, I think they speak for themselves. As soon as you start to play them, you you sort of know, you know, if it's going to mm-hmm. work. So depends at the time and depends on the players that you've got with you, who you can sort of get it together uh, at to form the band. Really, it's a complex one for me. Um, you know, it's never been a, a great thing the live uh, scene because of all of those things I've mentioned. So, um, you know, next time I go out, it just has to be done right. And I I said this to the labels, you know. Um, I, you know, if I do this, we're going to have to spend weeks on getting this together and rehearsing it and getting a show. And then once we're happy with that, then you can start planning on what the tour might be, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a process. It's a, a, a big learning curve. Even at my age, you know, it's still learnings, you know, how it works and all that. And, of course, you know, at my age as well, all of the faces have changed in the business. So none of the promoters are the same none of the record label people are the same you know all of those faces have gone and um it's a whole new thing so yeah constantly learning and and you know i'm happy to learn i don't mind that but yeah yeah i mean it's what keeps it you know exciting too you know is that we're never done learning and it's it's kind of a testament that we're not you know we can't get complacent and mm. to like, well, I know how everything goes. Well, it's like, no, because with the change yeah. in times, I mean, it's amazing that let's say like an artist like yourself is still able to be in the game because you have adapted to the change over the years and how businesses run, how shows are booked, how shows are promoted. And, you know, that people don't hang flyers on phone poles anymore, that it's all, you know, like Facebook I, invites and events. Then, you know, know. You know was that kind of hard? Well, I mean, was that a hard thing for you to swallow or did you just kind of like, OK, this is how it's going to go. I got to go this route myself. I mean, for anybody of any age, um, it, it's always hard when a system changes. Um, you feel left out of that system, obviously, and you then have to try and learn that new system. Um, we, as musicians, are pretty adaptable. I mean, we do embrace technology to a point. I mean, you know, look at the people recording in their own bedrooms or their own houses, you know, these days with quality, not like when I was a kid and unsoldering wires off your raise heads to so that, you know, not that kind of thing. I mean, proper quality that you can get uh, high quality so we do embrace technology but it does it does catch you out sometimes and uh, you know we we have to try and keep up with it and we we have to leave all of the um, the things you know like the record labels they know their territories they know what they're doing in their business it's not for me to tell them how to do it but i can tell them what i would like um 
and things like the artwork. I mean, you know, I give them the artwork and say, look, it's got to look like this. And that's what I expect them to sort of to, to carry out. Um, but I, I can't tell them how to run their territory or their business. So we are dependent on on uh, you and you. You know, we, we depend on people like you to tell people what we're up to. So, you know, we have to thank you for these uh, opportunities to speak about it and stuff like that. We don't take it lightly. So, um, yeah, it is a all change, all learning, onward uh, band part of it. It's very dear to me. They're all friends, family as well. My daughter's on there. My son's on there. Um, so just to thank everybody and to thank the fans because, you know, they invite us into their homes, into their cars, into their headphones. And we love that. And that's what we do it for. So. Um, thank you for being part of the story and, and uh, taking us with you through your lives. Um, thank you for the, uh, doing the interview. And um, I'm going to have to cut and run. So um, I'll leave it at that, if that's all right with you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. This was an yeah. incredible time for me. And look, if you end up here in Atlanta on yeah. tour, first round's on me. Ah, that's very kind. I'll, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> oh, well, Tony, thank you again for all the years of incredible music and for being such a great guy to talk to. And uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate that, mate. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye.